You're listening to The Process with Peter Martin, presented by Open Studio Network. I'm here with Gregory Hutchinson. Such a pleasure to have you here on our inaugural podcast for Open Studio Network. What's up, man? Good to be here. Good to be here, Petey. Yeah, so Gregory Hutchinson, uh, he really needs no introduction, but um, I'm so interested to delve into the myriad of influences, and you know, you come from a, a great jazz city, uh, New York City, of course, um, but the history, I know you've spoken many times, you know, from your family roots of your father and your mother, mm-hmm. go back before New York, and I know that it informs a lot of your playing and your concepts for music. So I'd love if you could just kind of break it down, you know, the, the family influences and history. Well, <clears throat> my family's from the Caribbean. Um, I grew up in New York City, um, but I grew up playing Caribbean music, so it influenced uh, already my, my sense of groove. And, uh, you know, it's weird growing up for a certain period in your life and, and listening to one thing and then all of a sudden being turned on to jazz, which is what happened. My mom totally turned me on to jazz, and then from there it was like, wow, like I couldn't get enough of it. Right. So, um, at, at what age was that? Oh, that, that you kind of first remember hearing it. <laughs> uh, I first, well, let's see. I first remember hearing jazz. Probably I was probably like maybe six or seven, mm. but really understanding and, and starting to really. Uh, appreciate it I'd probably say around maybe 12 mm-hmm. so it was always in the house but it wasn't until I mean I, I always tell people that the first album she played for me my mom was um, East Broadway Rundown Sonny Rollins wow. and that you know that's one of my favorite records now you know yeah. so but at the time you know 12 year old like sitting there going what in the hell is going on here like I couldn't understand any of it so um, but every day I would listen to that record Eventually, what happened was, as I started to understand what was happening, I began to really dig it even more in the possibilities in the music. I mean, I think that's what really led me to jazz was knowing that there were these different possibilities that were uh, there for you to explore and, and that there were so many different ways that you could play the music. It wasn't just one way. It could be interpreted so many different ways. Right, right. So, you know, so you heard Broadway Rundown and something mm-hmm. kind of resonated there. And, and what was your, you know, what was your access to the drums and, and to learning how to play? Did, did you start in school as far as actually on the set? Or? Yeah, I mean, I actually started, my dad played. So um, he had a set of Ludwig uh, Vista Lights, psychedelic set which could explain a lot of things that were going on at the time, but we won't go there. It's this podcast. No, but um, so he would sit me on his lap and have a, a funny-shaped cigarette in his mouth and uh, me on the other side and, you know, on his lap playing the drums. And uh, he, that was really the first influence in terms of playing 
and then, you know, I always had access to the drum set, so I would drive him crazy. He would take me to rehearsals, and I'd be like, can I play, can I play? Hmm. And as soon as they say, oh, little Gregory wants to play, so, and then eventually it was like, oh, wow, little, little Gregory can actually play. Hmm. And then, you know, fast forward, my mom um, bought me my first drum set. But before that, I was playing on phone books, pots and pans, and whatever I could get my hands on. And then, you know, once I got that first drum set, it was off to the races. So, you know, it's I think it's something that every every kid dreams about. Like you 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 want the drum set, but until you get the drum set, you're very content with banging on books and making like setting up boxes so that it would look like a drum set. Hmm. So I did all of that stuff, man. I mean, I had a bass drum, I had a snare drum that was two phone books, you know, I, I had and I always made sure that the pitches were different. If I had a book, I'd say, okay, I, wait a minute, I need a little deeper tone over here, so let me get a bigger book. And so, you know, all these things until I actually got a drum set. Then it was, it was you know, crazy. I drove the neighbors crazy, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. So once you got the set, were you playing on your own or just from your dad showing you or were you taking lessons or I, playing at school? I was taking lessons. Uh, the first lessons, I uh, actually had a great teacher. Uh, he passed away, uh, fortunately, the first drum teacher uh, that really influenced me. His name was Wade Barnes, and he was such a great, uh, great guy, man. He had this, he's the first guy I ever saw with two bass drums. Like, he had a Gretsch set with two 18 inch bass drums, and I was, the set looked so good. Oh my God. And he was so nice. Um, and that was the first teacher. And then my next door neighbor happened to be Marvin Smitty Smith. That was uh, one of my other teachers, also. I mean, I, I think I was lucky in that, that I had really great influences uh, in terms of having, you know, I think each kid in their life growing up, you have uh, a few people that are so influential that help you to really become the person you are. So I, I would say, you know, between Wade, Smitty, Kenny Washington, and, you know, of course, all the greats that I could hang out with in New York, those were the influences and those were the teachers. And, you know, they always corrected me when I needed to do something right that I was doing wrong. So... Uh, you know, I was lucky. Mm. So, uh, w how old were you when you met Kenny Washington, and 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 what was that like in, in terms of your development at that time? High school, high school, okay. And I think I was in my second, maybe first year, going in second year of high school, and we had this McDonald's uh, tri-state big band, and so uh, I auditioned for the band, and I got in, and he was the guy that auditioned me. Uh, the funny story is that this band was run by another great teacher and mentor of mine, uh, Justin DeChocho, uh, who a lot of people know for conducting the Grammy uh, big band. But he, he does a lot of workshops. He's a great teacher. He's turned out a lot of great students. Uh, Omar Keem, Steve Jordan, Kenny Washington, Marcus Miller. These were all some of his students. Uh, Justin Robinson, Stephen Scott, uh, Walter Blanding. I mean, wow, the list goes on. So... I auditioned for music and art, and he auditioned me, but they wouldn't take me. They said I wasn't good enough. Mm. Uh, so when I showed up at this audition and I beat out all the people from the school and other schools, and he's like, man, where you been? I said, oh, you don't remember me. You auditioned me last year, and you didn't take me. <laughs> so I had a little chip on my I still have a chip on my shoulder, J.D. <laughs> um, but Kenny Washington was the, was the, uh, was the judge, educator, and... Uh, he said, man, you're the first cat that came in as trying to swing. Mm. So the next year, I went back again, and guess who the judge was? Uh, 
Kenny Washington. So when he <laughs> saw me show up, he said, oh, he said, well, man, just hang out all day. We'll just hang out. Don't, you don't have to worry about anything. So I hung out all day. And at the end of the day, he said, okay, you got it again. Yeah. So, you know, he really was uh, influential to, to my uh, development. And we've been friends since then. Um, and he's always, you know, in my ear telling him, give me some good advice. When I can catch up to him, yeah, K-Wash. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So then when did you, I, I know you started, like, you know, like a lot of great Brooklyn and, and New York City musicians. You started gigging on a, on a very high professional level, very young. Yeah. What was kind of like your first big professional moment? Uh, first big professional moment? Well, I, I Wow. The first gig I ever did was with a piano player named Enos Payne, who also passed away, unfortunately. Um, and that was really nice. Uh, we, the Jazzmobiles in New oh, York. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess you could say that was my first really uh, big gig. But the first road traveling big gig would be playing with Red Rodney. Mm. And uh, it was myself, Gary Dow, Jay Anderson, and Dick Oates, and, of course, Red Rodney. And that was my first road gig. And that, that was probably at 19 18, mm. 19, I think. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And so then, I mean, I met you, I think, like right. maybe a year later yeah. when I came up to New York. And, you know, I remember, I mean, you were like a seasoned veteran. I was like, man, <laughs> I mean, we're exactly the same. You're actually a couple, only a couple months older than me. Yeah, but I yeah, was yeah. like, man, this dude, when we met, I mean, you kind of had a lot of stuff musically figured out. And what impressed me even more, I mean, I knew, you know, New York was filled with great yeah. musicians. But you had a lot of just life stuff. You'd already been out on the road. You traveled to Europe and, and you know, played with, you know, really a legend, Red Rodney. Yeah. You know, somebody I'd only seen on records with, like, Charlie Parker. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, w- that was fun. Um, and then I know that, that, I guess, you know, shortly thereafter, you started a, a nice span with uh, one of the greatest vocalists ever in this music, uh, Miss Betty Carter. Yeah. And that's where we really first got that's a chance we... to play together. Yeah. And so can you just kind of just take us through how, how you met Betty Carter and how she asked you to play with her? Well, Stephen Scott had been playing with Betty, and I knew Stephen, uh, Winard Harper had been playing, I knew Winard. Uh, before I came in, Troy Davis was playing, your homie Troy. Mm-hmm. What's up, Troy? <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I, I kind of was hoping and wishing that I could get the gig. And as fate would have it, uh, I, I never forget Kenny Washington called me and said, hey, man, you, you got eyes to play with Betty. And I was like, wow, yeah. And then Steven called me and said, hey, man, you you know, Betty Carter is looking for a drummer. What do you think? And I was like, wow, yeah, I'd love to do it. So, you know, I went in the shed, learned all the music so that I could show up. And, you know, she was auditioning cast, and I showed up. And she's like, well, you come highly recommended. So let's <laughs> see what you got. And so, you know, we played some tunes, and she was like, hmm, okay, all right, cool. And so there, that was the beginning, you know. And the thing about her that was so amazing, and as you know also, because you played in the band, Betty's thing was about developing young musicians not to sound like the older musicians, but to sound like yourself, which at a young age, when someone says to you at 18, 19, okay, I want you to play yourself, you're like, uh, uh, what? Who? What? <laughs> like, who am I? Like, who am I? You know, <laughs> right. like, because we haven't lived enough life. Right. But, I mean, I think that we can both say, and because we, we were both fortunate for that, that it, it really helped us to start thinking that way 
at an early age, you know. So yeah, while we were still learning and paying homage to the, the masters, we it was put in our mind that we need to go in another direction once we learn all this stuff. And you know, she, you know firsthand, it's just weird talking to you about this, but she could easily call you out for like, no, don't do that, I, I played with those guys. Don't play like Max, I, I played with Max. Right. I heard don't play like already. Philly. Yeah, yeah, I heard that already. Yeah, 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 I heard that's that already. Been that's, <laughs> that's, that's been played. That's already been played. That's what are you going to play? Exactly. Yeah. So if she could have easily been like, oh, that's cool, go ahead. You know, But she wasn't. So I think that really, for me, that was really the, the challenging thing. And um, I'm so glad that we both had an opportunity to play with her. Um, I think it, it's put us where we are, sitting here talking to each other today. And um, I think we all... Every person that plays this music is fortunate because it all you all everyone needs a break. Everyone needs some luck, and everyone needs someone to believe in them. And I think um, we we've both been fortunate that way to have someone that believes in, in what we what we were doing at that age. Right. You know, and it's so different. Now. You know, I mean, we talk about that all the time. We're like, does that still exist? And it doesn't. No. Nope. And, and it's like, we don't want to be the old dude saying, well, I remember back in the day, but it's a very important part of the music. That, but that's what it you know, is, you know. To, you know. Yeah. That, that, that needs to be there because, you know, just like you say, we wouldn't be where we are now where we, we can be playing together and, you know, have the confidence of the things. I mean, I know I think about... That short span I played with Betty Carter, the things that she taught me, yeah, just on the bandstand. I mean, yeah. I used those; they became a part of kind of who I am as a player. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because I, I was thinking about this the other day, and especially in your case, uh, you know, people come and go in the band, but you know, you chose to leave. It wasn't, you know, Peter Martin is uh, extraordinary because he's one of the few cats that didn't get fired. Like, <laughs> I got fired because I, I chose to do a, a record date with Joe Henderson, Lush Life. Um, but your reasons for leaving were life reasons, you know, and, and she respected you. Like, I mean, I don't know if she ever, if you ever talked to her, but she told me many a time, like you were one of the few casts that she actually respected because she understood why you, you know, why you were doing what you were doing because to raise your family. And so I was really, you know, to me, that was like years later, we talked about this almost right before she died. Like, you know, we had a serious talk and you were one of the people that she really you know, it was it was really amazing to hear her come out and say that. So, mm. you know, yeah, that that doesn't exist unfortunately now. And yeah, I mean, people sometimes I feel like, wow, you know, I used to listen to the old cats say that. Oh yeah, and I remember when I used to be like, ah. <laughs> but there is some truth to that though. The process with Peter Martin is presented by Open Studio Network, your destination for online jazz education. Learn from the masters. To learn more about Gregory Hutchinson's Open Studio Network course or any of our courses, go to OpenStudioNetwork.com. Um, so let's—you brought up the Joe Henderson, and that's you know that's one of my favorite records from that era. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember because it's you and Stephen Scott, uh, Christian McBride. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys were young, young. I mean, Christian was probably like eighteen, nineteen, or something. Yeah, and um, Joe Henderson yep. and Wynton Marsalis, Wynton, yep. yeah, and that's um, uh, the Lush Life, Lush Life, yeah, the music of Billy Strayhorn, and I really think that that is one of the 
best records of the 90s, of really any era, but it like really typifies yeah. to me that sound. It's so well recorded, and, and your playing on there is so, you know, it's got all the, the Hutch stuff we come to know and love, you know, like the precision, mm-hmm. the swing, the groove, um, the interaction, the really attention to like comping at the right time. But it's young Hutch, you know, which is funny because that's like very young Hutch. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's so mature in in, in like the professionalism of how you're playing. But yeah. I never thought about. It. I remember I, I was doing like a, a workshop or something at, up at Berkeley and talking to some of the students, and they're like, "Man, I love your playing on blah 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 record." And that was when you you know, it was like a drummer, and he's like, "That was you know young Hutch," you know. And I was like, "Wow, I I, I still think of you as young Hutch." Yeah, I was me like, too. Damn, I, like, I better start like, practicing some more. <laughs> I like, are there different periods of Hutch? But there are. There are. There, there are. are. Yeah, and it's really exciting for me because, you know, you know, I still I still go back and reference that record because yeah. I mean Joe's playing on that. I mean that's one of his best records he ever he, made. He know? sounded great. Yeah, yeah. He really and I think did. that was you know the, another example. I mean, in his own way, certainly different. Betty Carter was. With, I mean, we we were really like pupils of her in, yeah. in terms of like the University of Ben yeah. Carter, and Joe was soft, more soft spoken, and you kind of you know probably learn by following him yeah. and stuff. But that experience for you guys to play with him and to represent like you did, I mean, yeah. that wasn't like just some young punks kind of feeling their way through that record. So yeah. those of y'all that haven't heard that record, because I always see it as like a classic, and I'm surprised sometimes I'll. Mention it to young musicians. Oh, I don't know it. You know, Joe Henderson, because he's not with us ah, anymore. That's the thing, you know. He's, uh, that's a master right there. And, and that's truly, you know, him and his prime. Yeah. Yeah, you know that recording session was so funny because uh, you know Joe is like you said very soft spoken and he'd come in and say okay cats uh, and you know the first day took a long time because we were having some technical difficulties Uh-oh. got it and um, but once we got rolling it, it was it was something else and you know for me I was in awe you know I I was I, I think at the at the time I didn't really realize it but I knew something was special about the record because the vibe was just going so well and uh, I think that's one of my favorite record dates not not even as a the person playing but just to hear Joe Henderson sound like Joe Henderson like with a vibe and so it's like having an out-of-body experience you know you're part of something but you you stand out and you look at it and you go wow this is this is kind of neat and I think that really helped my career uh, tremendously um, but it's funny you know that is young Hutch, and um, we still young, but we learn so much. Life, life's, life's the life of the life, and let's put it that way, teaches you about yourself and playing the instrument, and you grow every year that you're living, and you become more experienced. Mm. You know, and that's just naturally. That's you know, that's for anybody. And so when you put the work in plus the experience, it you know, you evolve and you hear music differently. And I, I've evolved, you know, I started bebop and and I still love bebop. Bebop is the shit. But we evolve to understanding other styles of music and I think it makes us who we are. Um, well rounded musicians, it makes us able to to function no matter what is going on you know and I, I see that with with me you 
uh, with Ruben, you know, with all my friends that we played with Josh, with Aaron, whoever, mm. that, you know, we're, we're kind of the older guys now, but the younger generation, we're still able, able to work with everybody because we understand music. Right, right, right. You know? Yep. So. Well, I mean, I think I've, you know, I've seen that in, you know, in your career and the arc of your career and the types of uh, bands that you've been involved with, recordings, mm -hmm. you know, like that one, but also bands and really being like the foundation of mm -hmm. a band and a sound yeah. that you, you've always understood that yeah. from that drummer perspective so well. And I just wanted to, you know, kind of move to the Roy Hargrove period, Ooh. you know. Bebop! And yeah, you know, so that was like, when did you start playing with Roy? It was like 93? Yeah. 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 Um, so how did, you, how did you first meet Roy? I met Roy doing one of those, I think it was uh, jazz conventions. Maybe it was IAJE or something like that. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> we were in a breakfast line. And, you know, he had these, these shades on and he was standing behind me. And somehow I turned around and he, like, tried to jump in front of me. You know, I'm a New York cat, so... That shit wasn't really gonna work. I was like, "Yo, man, yo, 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 what you doing, man?" And so he was like, "Hey, hey," I, I, I was like, "Nah, nah, nah, you got to step back now." He's like, "Oh, wait, 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 you go, I got you." And I was like, "Yeah, what's up, man?" He's like, "I'm more hardcore." I was like, "Oh, what's up, man? Stand back, you know." Okay. And so we started. You're laughing. like, you ain't Roy Hargrove yet. Yeah, and we just started laughing, and um, it was funny. Oh, because I was I was playing with, wow, did I had I already uh, who was I there with, man? Oh no! I met him. So when I met him, this is before before I met him when I was playing with Red Rodney, mm. and so I went to one of these conventions. So fast forward, you know, here we are, and we're talking, and uh, you know, it, it came up. Uh, they would they wanted he wanted to have this band, and he always talking about this band. We stayed in touch. Oh, this band, this band, this band. And he put out these records, and. Uh, what was the uh, the diamond in the rough? Diamond in the rough, yeah. right? And uh, Art was and right RCA after that, yeah, yeah, right after that, you know, joined the band and we started playing all this music. And you know, those cats, you know how we were. We were into bebop, you know. We had a killing band, and but the music, we had this fiery young energy. Yeah. So I guess we had this another chip on our shoulders, like we we knew we were the stuff, <laughs> and we actually could we 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 had a swag about, yeah. to our thing, man. And, yeah. It was good because, you know, at that time, wind was really hitting. Um, and there was a youthful movement, not only playing the music, but people listening to the music, which is what we have to get back. And so, you know, it was really inspiring, you know, and then you came in the band and, and it was crazy. So... I think that that was a period of, of playing that helped me to really grow, not only as a as a young man, but in in my playing also. Like you know, I was able to to experiment and do things, and it was cool because we were all this around the same age trying to learn. So no one was like, ah, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't do it. Everyone was like, hey, let's see where we can go with the music and where we could take it, you know. And I think the thing that was incredible because we paid homage to. The greats, but we still had our own style, right? Right. You know, and I mean, you were such a, a a big part of probably the biggest part of crafting that style of that band. I mm -hmm. think even as the personnel changed a yeah. little, little bit, I mean, even after you left, yeah. Um, I, I think I mean, you and Rodney Whitaker, the mm -hmm. bassist Rodney Whitaker, um, so homie, yeah, man. That's that that rhythm section really um, 
you know, created a standard for young musicians. I mean, like our age mm-hmm. and, and, and even older musicians mm-hmm. that actually still kind of continues. When I hear Roy Hargrove's band now, there's still that that hump and that it, swag yeah. and that rhythm section. Yeah. And so that's, you know, like just a beautiful thing. And then back then, too, I mean, like you talk about the Joe Henderson record and mm-hmm. Diamond in the Rough, Tenors of Our Time. Not mm-hmm. What was it? Um, Tenors, Tenors of Our, of our time. time. Yeah, yeah. with Stanley yeah, yeah, Turrentine yeah. and everybody on Roy's. Like those Johnny records, Griffin, yeah. yeah, Johnny Griffin and and you know who we, who we got a chance to play with too. Yeah, those records were like events. You know, like when you when you did a record, it was something, was... and people would talk about when it was going to drop and when. And you know, it's different. It's that's another thing that's different mm-hmm. now. Yeah, um, everybody's making records, and there's still some great stuff, but it's not really like a record comes out. It sort of comes out, and then over the next few years, it might get a little buzz. Yeah, if it's deserving or whatever. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean. Things have gotten, everything got faster, you know, mm-hmm. and I think the, the thing is, uh, we, the cats used to always tell me, the older guys used to always say, you got to pay some dues, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, and I don't want to harp on this, everyone comes to their fortune, how they come to it, and everyone's journey is different, but paying that dues is essential because it helps you to, to develop a sound and become who you are, and you're still going to have to do that in front of people, but it helps you to really understand a little bit deeper what it is that you're trying to do, I think. And now I think a lot of people don't have that. Now it's just that everyone wants to have their own record. I still haven't right. put out a record yet, uh, Peter Martin. <laughs> but we're going to have to get that started with the Open Studio Network. First album, second album to be done. Uh, Greg Hutchinson. Let's uh, do I think you guys we, heard it here We first. need to do it here. I think we need to get it done. Right. Um, but yeah, so there, there, there was something special about being able to do that and pay that dues and, and learn and hone your craft. And I, I think that's, you know, that's essential. That's not, the young guys and young ladies don't have an opportunity to do that now. So. Right, right. So the next period I know was, was huge for you and, and for everyone that got a chance to hear, which is the Ray Brown period. Yes. Um, um, how, did you, how did you get to start playing with Ray? Well, you know, like I said, everyone's fortune is 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 something that that you can't really predict, and think different things happen at different times. Basically, I was recommended by Lewis Nash and Kenny Washington, and uh, they called and said, "Hey, would you would you be into playing with Ray?" While I was playing with Roy, and I heard him play, and he said, "Yeah, I like the way you play. I'll give you a call if the chair ever comes open." So you know, someone says that to you, like, hey, "Okay, yeah, whatever." They're just being nice. So sure enough, he called. And he said, "Hey, would you like to join the band?" And, you know, and that those years were. Everyone that I played with before that was incredible, and I'm so thankful. But playing with Ray Brown probably, for me, was the most incredible uh, thing that could have happened in my life. Not only because it was Ray Brown, but, but he was such a caring man. He was like my dad. He became really like my dad. You know, my mom and dad divorced when I was young. 
Ray Brown took me in and treated me like I was his son. And I'll forever, uh, I'll forever love you, Ray Brown, in the skies, in the heavens, playing with all those greats now. Celia Brown, uh, his wife, still alive, and they treated me like family. And that, to me, that was better than any musical thing that we played on stage, was the love that he showed. It really showed me that the music is so much deeper than than just the notes on that we play. It's it's this camaraderie that we have and the, and the love that we have for each other. So even if me, like for instance, my, myself and yourself, maybe we might not see each other for for years or whatever, but we talk and when we come back together, it's like we we were just here. That's a camaraderie that that doesn't exist in too many other things that people do in the world. And so for me, Ray Brown offered that. And plus, you know, of course, being Ray Brown and that beat, you know, it taught me something about the beat and the, just a high level to be on every night, just like Betty, you know, just like Joe, just like Red. But Ray was, you know, this, this constant professional, you know. Well, that's beautiful. So uh, I... Your, your career has so much more and, and really I feel like it's part just, two yeah so that, that, that'll be great if we leave it here because then we got part two to come we'll back we'll do part two man for you know, sure um, and I'm excited you know always for us to talk about music to play music yes, and, sir. and to see where you're going to take it to the next level so give thank you Greg brother. Hutchinson thank you Petey All right. love you man peace yes That concludes our first episode of The Process. I'm Peter Martin, and this is our new podcast from Open Studio Network. You can find us at iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us, as always, at openstudionetwork.com. Peace.